I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, with a conversation recorded live from the LA Design Festival featuring landscape architect Mia Lehrer, the principal architect, president, and founder of Studio MLA. She was raised in El Salvador to a family that was heavily involved in activism and community leadership. In the 60s, her mother started a micro-lending project for women while her father was helping disadvantaged youths. Lehrer earned her Master's of Landscape Architecture from Harvard University's Graduate School of Design. She founded Studio MLA and surrounded herself with some of the best and brightest. Speaking with Lehrer is Hunker Media's VP of Content, Eve Epstein. They talk about advocacy, public spaces, social engagement, and building a better society while building better spaces. Thank you for listening to this episode of Convo by Design. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you do, please give us a five-star rating and review on uh, iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts to you and me. It helps new listeners find the podcast, and it is greatly appreciated. Thanks. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond. Always first with what's next in the kitchen and bath. Snyder Diamond is a family-owned and operated company that serves the Southern California design and architecture community as well as discriminating homeowners through remarkable customer service and a curated offering of kitchen and bath appliances, fixtures, and finishes. The products at Snyder Diamond include the industry's best, like the full line of Mila appliances. Mila, a family-owned and operated company offering industry-leading products since 1899. This includes a full line of refrigerators, ovens, steamers, cooktops, wine units, coffee machines, dishwashers, ventilation hoods, washers and dryers. All of these products are made using the highest standards in manufacturing and industry-leading technology to provide a superior class of appliance. Form, function, and future. That's Mila. Pair that with the standard bearer when it comes to customer service, and Snyder Diamond delivers dreamy kitchens that exceed expectations. If that's not enough, right now, and for a very limited time, Mila is offering some amazing and very generous rebates and offers. For details on these, and to see the full line of Mila products, visit any of the three Southern California Snyder Diamond locations, or visit online at SnyderDiamond.com. So thank you very much. Um, and obviously, our guest of honor here is Mia Lehrer, um, a landscape architect who is known for pretty much everything that you ever see in Los Angeles. Um, I actually, Mia, would you like to do your own introduction since you're sitting here? It's not like you're, where people are waiting for you to... What did you say? Did, would you like to do your own introduction? Sort of? Oh, um, I don't know that I, uh, I could say that I'm doing everything in the city, but I, I really, I love LA. And uh, I've been here for a few decades, and uh, I like to say that there's so much to do, and perhaps so much that wasn't done right and at, a, at a certain point in time, there, there's a lot to fix. So, um, the prof, you know, as a, an urbanist and uh, trained as a landscape architect, um, I'm equipped with tools that are very helpful in that way. And uh, I also just love contributing to the community and it, it through through creative process, but also through engagement. Um, I was actually uh, I came yesterday and heard a couple of talks and was sort of amazed and impressed by the level of um, 
expertise within the audience, um, but some of my questions it did not assume that level of expertise, so forgive me if I'm playing catch up with you guys. Um, my first question for you was really about what it is that you do and what is landscape architecture as a practice and as a, as um, a, a con uh, in contrast to regular architecture or gardening on, on either side of those. I guess maybe I'll ask a couple questions. How many of you know uh, what landscape architecture is? Oh. Um, how many of you know what landscape architecture is? Okay. So then you can challenge me after I describe it, I guess, because <laughs> there's a lot of you. Um, uh, and how many of you studied landscape architecture? Okay. So uh, we, we are trained. Um, so we're different than architects in very many ways. It's clearly design thinking uh, crosses many boundaries, including interior design. You know, you have a problem, you're trying to solve a problem, and you have opportunities, you have constraints, and you can draw things, and the things are, that are drawn, which are solutions, can then be illustrated so a layperson can understand what it is. Mm -hmm. And the kinds of problems that we solve are, for example, um, sort of one of the problems that I'm working on is the LA River and you know with the perspective of systems thinking so I went to so the founder of the profession in America was uh, Frederick Law Olmsted he designed Central Park and he actually came from the health you know he was kind of a he was working in the army and he he dealt with health and health issues, and he had gone to Europe, and he had seen a lot of parks, and somehow we ended up thinking that cities needed these parks to make people sort of get outside from the very dense industrial areas or the places they were working in to then put them in these restorative spaces, which is kind of amazing just as a forward thinking, forward thinking uh, person. We're, because we're in the same place now, right? Yeah. Uh, and he used to travel across the country as cities grew. He would, you would think he had e faxes or emails or e everything, but he would just hear that, oh, you know, Chicago's gotten really big and there's things going on there and there's gonna be a, a, the big ex you know, exposition. I'm gonna go and, you know, and he would l knock on mayor's doors and say, you know, gotta do something. <laughs> so. You know, with, uh, we, we are a small profession, uh, but we are trained to think about soil and water and uh, the urban forest and how th transportation, how all these things come together and how the thing, these, all these elements come together as cities grow and mature and how do we densify and how do we make cities more livable and obviously, you know, we all know now like 80%, 85% of people are going to be living in big cities in, by, in the next 30, 40 years. So this is not a construct of the people who live in the countryside and the pe people who live in cities. The majority are going to be living in cities, so we got to solve the problems. And so, you know, uh, I, I, I think that we're reimagining Los Angeles and that landscape architects have an important role to play. That's an excellent answer. Who, who, who here wants to quibble with that? 
<laughs> all right, good. So we're all on the same page. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I find so interesting um, about sort of what you just said and, and the sort of positioning um, of, of your role uh, is this idea, I think, that um, that people in cities need to have a relationship to their environment um, and that, uh, that everybody needs to have that relationship. Um, one of the things that has always struck me in the conversations that we tend to have kind of in our little bubble of like an interiors publication online is when we talk about green building or green spaces, we are often talking about private spaces for wealthy individuals or for corporations or for organizations that have a lot of money one way or the other. Um, and I wonder, um, you know, is there a sense or, it, you know, in, in, in when you say that Los Angeles needs this kind of work to be coming back right. into the conversation, um, are there such a thing as sort of green, uh, green deserts or, or sustainability deserts or design deserts um, in the same way that people talk about food deserts, who, you know, people who are talking about food justice and, and, and the need for a permeation of certain resources into certain communities. Is that sort of what you're trying to address in, in the work that you're doing? That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> the, the desert part confused me a little bit. But, Sorry. Uh, the terminology. But, um, uh, I, I, I think that understanding how to live lighter on the land and how to be respectful to the environment is something that is more of, let's say, the, genera the generations uh, actually of my children in that as a, I became an activist as a young mother and I basically connected with people like uh, Andy Lipkis from Tree People and uh, Mark Gold, who's now with the Sustainability Center at UCLA. And it was a bunch of us. And we kind of knew what we were doing, but not really. I mean, all we knew was to push an agenda. It, you know, a better, you know, a sort of how to live light on the land, how to be respectful of the land, how to, you know, do we really need to be using this much water? And um, among the fights that, that we were involved with, and there were basically about 300 people, you could pick up the phone and say, did you know that they're gonna uh, try to ban plastic bags? You know, like the plastic bags that, and, and part of why we all learned about it is we were starting to go on a year, yearly basis to clean the LA River, and there were this, you know, the amount of plastic bags and other, other garbage was so intense and it was you know when you were down and in there you really felt it and I had a four-year-old at the time who I just made do that so that kind of guy is like totally cognizant of how what are some of the triggers so one of the triggers that is funny that came up for me last week because you know we are fighting plastic we have to fight, fight styrofoam and um, I love to drink out of a straw. And one of the designers in my office critiqued me like severely. Do you know that that straw is going to kill the fish and the turtles and the this and the that down the river? And I'm like, oh my god, I can't have straws anymore. So <laughs> I think that we all have to realize that each one of us in our circles can make a difference. And I, I like to believe that in LA, we are very, all pretty cognizant and we see a lot more people taking public transportation, a lot more people being on bikes, 
a lot more pe people being lighter on the land. Um, and so I think that there's an, an ethos that exists and that how, however we can communicate in our circles of friends and family, I think it's important. I was just recently in Mexico City and um, you know, the garbage trucks come through and the garbage trucks have a truck behind it that is actually uh, basically separating garbage. So if there's a bunch of plastic or, or glass, the guy behind, I don't know what the deal is between the two, is <laughs> already called separating, you know? It doesn't happen back at the, at the giant sort of site where all the garbage goes. So I think to answer your question, um, we all, Obviously, we look at labels. You know, I, I just was looking at this beautiful Brazilian furniture. I'm thinking it's coming from really far away, but I really think it's fun. How do I like, um, you know, sort of? Um, um, how do I justify to myself when I know there's some great designers in LA uh, bringing, buying, buying the Brazilian, even though I'm half Brazilian? So I'm just saying. How do you justify it? I mean, what, what do you think will, uh, will be the outcome one. of that struggle? Ooh, it's a hard one. I mean, uh, um, I probably would, honestly, just I would probably look t to see what else there is that meets my needs that is local. Good to know. Yes. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, closer, closer to the mouth. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about parks. Or I would urge them to, to open a little factory here. Right, right. Yeah, that would be great for everybody. <laughs> um, you know, when, when thinking about parks um, and, and, and sort of uh, other sort of green spaces, but in particular parks, I think um, it's interesting you mentioned Olmsted because I think for a lot of us, especially somebody like me, I grew up in New York, my kind of the paradigm of a park that's in my head is Central Park or one of the other very green, very lush uh, spaces there. Um, but in a place like Los Angeles where the climate and the terrain is different, um, the park, a park might mean something else. Um, and I wonder if you have encountered those types of preconceptions um, in working with partners or people at the city level or even contractors or architects uh, and have had to kind of re-educate them as to what a park can be. Yes, um, a park or a garden, right? Um, so we are constantly having to retool people's lenses about what a park, what, what a park is. And, Usually when we have our community meetings and we're sharing with people what the possibilities are, right? Um, they, if, if you opt up for a, a photograph, let's say, of a park like Central Park, very green, very lush, uh, and or sort of more naturalistic sort of California park, or even New York park that's more naturalistic, there's no question people go to the more manicured mm. piece. Um, and uh, I think that we've made a lot of headway in the last 10 years with, uh, with the drought um, in the sense that we understand now that it's, it's not just a choice. It's, we have to do something about it. And so we can't be planting, you know, acres and acres of lawn and acres and, ac you know, and all these trees that are very water starved, you know, that are sort of that need a lot of water. And I always, and I have this conversation and I have with people, well, you know, and 
you can't have a ficus, but an oak tree is, has a shiny leaf, so that's kind of like it, right? And I go through the, you know, cerces are like uh, some of the flowering trees, and I go through the, the sort of the different varieties of trees, types that can um, sort of meet the need. We're just, uh, you know, so that you, you, you create a parody and you say, okay, it can happen. It can be beautiful and it can have shade. Most people want shade. That's, and they imagine that some of the drier landscapes just don't have enough shade. That's their main goal, shade. And also, plants take a long time. Some of the native trees take longer to grow than a ficus or you know, some of the tropicals that were brought in here in the 1950s, for example. I remember one time I was doing a garden for a client and um, he had a, it was very big, he's very famous, and I was already, this is like 20 years ago, I was already really focused on only do lawn where you really need it because otherwise you might as well do other plant material and you know maybe just start looking for sort of more drought or local plant material just as an intuition. And he said, and I said, and he said, why, why can't I have such, such a big lawn? You know, you have, you know, two kids and they're always on that side and why do they need so much acres of this stuff? And he says, fuck sustainability, I don't care, you know? <laughs> but I did convince him actually, <laughs> eventually, to do something else. But in any event, uh, I think that it's about education and we're working on a project across from City Hall. It's called, first, it's the first in Broadway. We're calling it Fab Park. And it's going into construction in about probably nine months to a year. And the city is the one who put forward the request for a park that actually celebrated California and the California flora. Um, that really was, in some ways, it, it was educational about water and how water moves and how to use it. And that actually allowed us also, in, that has a lot of shade, but allows us to have a, a, a sort of a cultural sort of a art component to it and uh, food so that we can actually main, uh, do maintenance and operations for the parks out of the funding, that, um, the money that is gonna come in from food. So there's gonna be beer and uh, sandwiches, and then there's gonna be a white tablecloth restaurant where the mayor and all, and all of us are gonna be able to bump into each other, and then there's gonna be uh, a, uh, an area, a roof garden, like don't we all love perches and roof gardens these days? So I th that was the city's sort of goal, to create that window to our reality, and uh, really, we're really excited. It's a, you know, uh, a relatively, um, we just need a little more funding, but it's a great project. Right. Pony up, come on. Yes, <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely. It, it's, it's in good shape, so we're, we're pretty pleased, and it's gonna be sort of one of those projects in LA that's gonna really demonstrate what we're able to do and should be doing. Um, so we're excited to have won a competition to do that. Yeah, it's gonna, we're all very much looking forward to that, especially those of us who have sort of been through the years um, and seen downtown LA, speaking of which, mm -hmm. um, go through so many changes, but also so many promised sort of changes before they actually happened and to finally see some of these projects, including of course the LA River uh, blossoming and, and actually happening um, is, is so exciting for, for so many of us who love Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I did want to kind of uh, kind of go back to is, you know, you, you're such a champion of, of the California 
kind of environment and the California uh, aesthetic and and um, you're, you've made your career here and you do ha you have such a made such a mark on this region um, and it seems like you've always been a champion of that and and you point to this idea that in some ways or maybe I'm pointing to it that that LA and California really are leading the charge and leading the conversation around many of these issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you had that first conversation with the somewhat unwilling client around like, hey, maybe you should have a smaller lawn, that might have been the first, one of the first conversations yeah. that ever happened about that. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, you're not from Los Angeles, uh, you're not from California, but what is it about this place that has inspired you and continued to inspire you um, and engaged you um, as much as it has? Um, so I, I am from El Salvador, um, so I would come, if I was doing a community meeting, I, I would say to the largely, let's say, Latino community, yeah, don't judge the book by the cover. Um, and uh, I went to, the school, to school in the East Coast and married a Californian, and that's why I ended up here. Uh, at a time when there was a civil war in Central America, so it wasn't very appealing to go back there at the time um, any, in any event. Uh, I, I think I learned from my family who had come to California during the gold rush from Europe and ended up in Central America, the, the way they engaged in the, in sort of, first of all, they were, my father was just in awe of nature. Like, he just could not believe, you know, volcanic eruptions, which we had, um, hummingbirds, like galore, birds that, parakeets and parrots that flew across the city so you knew when it was five o'clock in the morning and you knew when it was six o'clock at night because they were going from one end of the city to the other, keeping track of everybody this time. And just, it was just this paradise for, for children. Um, and uh, my parents also got involved in microloans, they got involved in low-income housing, and, uh, uh, and also sort of in nature conservancy. And um, so they gave back to the community, that's the only way they felt blessed. And they had not finished high school. When they left Europe at a time of war, uh, they hadn't had an opportunity to finish high school, but they came from pretty sophisticated cities and families, and so they, they felt blessed, and they gave back. And I think that once I arrived here, and I, you know, you intuit what your family has done, it just became, I started getting involved in public schools. I created a Friends of a public school in our neighborhood, and um, started planting trees and taking out asphalt, hello and had an amazing principal who just, just used to tell me, I won't, I'll look to the right and you do what you need to do, and just engage the community, and it, and it was you know half sort of um, upper middle class uh, families, and the other half were you know, people from Central America, Salvador, Mexico, and they, we would just kind of band together and they would help me with the trees and the planting and then we would just, everybody benefited, right? So I think what actually has really rooted me is, and, and it's just, I get, it's, a, it's also a personality trait, just trying to understand how the world works and trying to like make things happen. And in, in my family's case, in the case of Central America is like, you know, a, a little fish in a big pond, and I think in, in, in this case, it was just, I was watching people like um, 
like uh, Dorothy Green, who created Heal the Bay, and some others who made a big mark and just saying, they're doing it, I'm gonna, I, I'm just gonna try, you know, and I would just, and a lot of the time you spend is not compensated time. And I, I have always uh, related more better mm -hmm. to people in, in the, you know, who are in their 40s, 30s, 40s, um, in, in, than, than people in my generation, because I felt so compelled to contribute and to understand the world better and open up possibilities. I've created, a f I funded three nonprofits, and we're just kind of, um, it's the only way I know how to operate. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's often surprising that we have a, a business that can pay, can pay rent. No, uh, I mean, I've, you know, we balance things out. Well, I think that's such a such an instructive and sort of um, it's it's so rare uh, to see somebody actually exemplify that the the sort of union of those two things so mm -hmm. so successfully. And I think it's um, I think for a lot of people, both um, of my generation and younger generation, it's it's absolutely a model for how they would like to live their lives and like to. Uh, conduct their professional lives as with activism and advocacy as a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you about some of the nonprofits um, that you have founded. Mm -hmm. um, there's one in particular, uh, Moss, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that uh, I'm a huge fan of. I have not actually gotten a chance to meet the um, the folks who are mm -hmm. sort of running it, but I know that you're a co-founder. Right. Um, and, and it was actually looking at some of that stuff that I started thinking about how sort of great design is something that, again, tends to sometimes be the province of mm -hmm. uh, a few people as opposed to the many. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that organization in particular is doing something to address that in a way that's also very sensitive to issues around gentrification. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about sort of what the idea for that was and how it came about? Sure. Um, so uh, I, I have a... I had always, I liked, everybody know who um, OMA, who Rem Coolhouse is? Yeah. You know, yes. So Rem had, has this um, research arm, right? He did small, medium, and large, and he did all these books, and, and he, the, the name of the research arm is a palindrome, like it's, it's AMO, and I thought, wow, that's cool. And so L.A. Moss is kind of the palindrome of MLA. Um, and uh, I, you know, we always wanted to do research and I always kind of frustrate the more, the more conventional, formal people in, in our firm. But the fact, oh, we gotta do research about such and such or this, you know, something's going on with, um, in, when the drought spill first hit really intensely. Uh, or, you know, the idea of exploring ways of dealing with, um, with, with streetscapes that wasn't trees every 35 feet. Like, isn't there something else more fun that we could be doing? And can we push the boundaries? But in a formal setting, in a formal firm, you have to do the drawings and you have to submit them to the city and they have to follow certain regulations. And I, it, it became clear at, at some point that there were these opportunities to be more, you know, do more exploration. And, you know, around the time, 
Ciclavia was forming, and there were other nonprofits doing interesting sort of explorations. And uh, I have a goddaughter, Elizabeth Timmy, who grew up with my kids, um, and um, actually she went to the same school as uh, Meghan Markle. That's our new uh, <laughs> claim to fame. And I was teaching at Harvard one year, and she was in graduate school there, and we started talking about the, you know, not only that was she married and was about to have a family and needed a little more flexibility, but also we, you know, these explorations, something between architecture and landscape architecture and urban design, right? Because there are these boundaries, and you want to test the boundaries. So, um, so that's what happened, and we I incubated her when we were at the Wiltern, and, and they were there for a few years, and uh, we were just trying to figure out how to, you know, I funded the. The, them for a while, and then they started writing proposals. And um, Helen Liang, who used to work uh, for the city for a while, and then had gone to um, to uh, the Kennedy School of Government, actually, um, was also. I mean, these are these are people who could be in the formal sector, and this they're instead in the slightly informal sector, and they have they're doing just great work. I'm really proud of them, and a lot of it is in not just. I always remind any all the people that work with me, and when they go into the in these to these nonprofits or doing this experimental work, that they're lens needs to be designed because that's what we bring to the table, design, right? So the design solution, you can't just do policy. So in their case, they really advanced the issue of ADUs, the, um, the small units in the, back, in the rear of uh, most residential homes. And they've been working on it, you know, for the last three years and they're, they've, they've made a lot of headway. It's now a term that most people know. It's been formalized. The opportunities are formalized. We have a, a board of directors of really serious people. <laughs> and we have to, we have a lot of protocols we follow. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm a founding direct, co-direct, co-founder and then they're co-directors now. So that's one. And the other uh, nonprofit is called Grown in LA, Gila. And uh, one of the things we discovered as we were trying to do native plants in restoration projects um, uh, around our, our, you know, and what the opportunities were gonna be when the river projects were really gonna come, come down is that there wasn't a lot of plant material being grown. That basically when you bought or ordered material, it came from Arizona. And, you know, climates are a little different and uh, they're not exactly as native as they could be. So we started, um, so we have an ecologist in the office that became passionate about it and uh, she's been operating for a couple of years. We have a temporary nursery at Griffith Park. We're starting to do giveaways at City Hall and other places and uh, we're sort of getting going. It's uh, starting to get formalized. So you mentioned um, the importance of kind of maintaining design as the lens that you bring to uh, the conversation. Um, and I, I think it actually speaks very well also to the fact that for you, you know, when we talk about design and advocacy, to me, 
what you're doing is really advocacy through design, right? Um, it's it's one and the same, or they're they're very much um, concentric. Yes. Um, and I wonder, just on the other side of that, it seems like going all the way back to that um, principal who was mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to look over here while you do your thing. <laughs> you do seem to have a sort of a knack for working with people who may be outside the design field, mm -hmm. who are in government or in mm -hmm. uh, administrative roles, um, of, of getting them to trust you, um, working a little bit outside the formal, mm -hmm. um, as well as being such a respected voice and, and practitioner within. Um, do you think that that's been uh, that part of your personality or that, that skill that you have has been a part of uh, what's allowed you to work on so many great things? Is that something you can put into words for somebody who might be interested in following a similar path? Does that? Mm -hmm. So, it's, you know, my, most of my uh, lectures that I do right now. It's advocacy by design. Mm. So oh, I don't know if you, you picked that one. So that's, and I, I've always said like in, that first you advocate for ideas or for you know uh, policies, mm. and and in the end you're advocating for design. And the tools we have is again showing what the solution can be, um, and that the especially the elected officials, they love to actually cut the ribbon, right? They love to come to the opening. Usually, by the time a project is built, you end up three elected officials, the, the ex-mayor, the mayor, and the, the mayor, the person running for mayor. <laughs> but everybody, you know, and you... So I think you have to have very thick skin, and you, you know, I would say that I'd like to think that a lot of people think it's it, that I'm not such a um, so difficult, <laughs> but um, you just have to be your trouble. I mean, I think most people, most of them, would say I'm a troublemaker. Really? Yeah. I and don't yet think, they I mean, continue I to work with you. I think that there are. I have some angels in the in the world of sort of formal. Uh, sort of contracting, who just see the value, right? They just see the value of someone who really cares, of someone who has an amazing team, because by the way, one of the absolute amazing pleasures and sort of honor for me is that people come to our office because they think we, we work on something we believe in and that we deliver what we believe in. And, um, you know, there's been situations that, uh, for example, uh, I discovered on one of our really wonderful projects that some of the funding was coming uh, from the Kushner family, and I opted out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, not me. I can't do this. I can't mix things up. I couldn't reconcile the fact that even though it was maybe a really good project and maybe pay really well, I couldn't do it. Right, um, and so there are those decisions you you have to make, and um, uh, I I I hope I I I feel that there's a lot of people that are operating in sort of the world of affordable housing, 
Um, there, uh, there's a wonderful group of young professionals um, that formed a group called La Rosa. Anybody here know about La Rosa or R-O-S-A-H? And it's basically a group um, who is really active in, uh, with it, uh, around issues of housing and parks and the relationship of housing and parks. And, and I, I've not been invited because I'm over the age as of, of acceptance, which I find really like, what, I could go to all, you know, what am I too old? And then they won't answer back. But anyway, it's great. They're all That's like terrible. doing a lot of wonderful, yeah, ageism Stop Googling is not them now. cool. Ageism, I'll just say ageism, yeah. not too cool. It feels bad. <laughs> but I think that I, I, I sense even people in this room or people who part, who have partaken in these uh, in this conference are uh, very com you know are interested and committed and trying to find their path and I just say that a we gotta really be involved in the next two decades guys next decade you gotta vote you gotta be out I'm I still sit on a federal commission um, with the uh, 44 not 45 but 45 doesn't know we exist. <laughs> so I'm just gonna say that, um, that I, I think, I, I would say that LA, Los Angeles is a great host for people who really care and persevere and stay involved. I mean, they, you know, I think that sometimes it's hard with the neighborhood councils or some of the forums, that formal forums that exist, but you can find a way, depending on what you do, like, Friends of the LA River, or you know, tree people, or so many other nonprofits that are out there dealing with issues that you may be passionate about, get engaged. It makes a difference. And um, most of them want your help, support, and engagement, whether you give them money or not. What you know, if what you do is what, what I, I used to do, which is sweat equity. You just do sweat equity and they care. Like, you know, just, just the more of us that there are that are involved in making a difference, uh, the, the, you know, the, the better off we're gonna be. Thank you for that. That's actually very inspiring. It feels very, very on, on, on brand for this, whole, uh, for this whole conference and also um, just for the context of this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to just check in because I'm not exactly sure um, how much time I have left. Um, Haley, where are we at in terms of, we have 20 minutes? Okay, should, I, should we move into like a questions phase? Okay, I did have one other thing I wanted to quickly ask about, but I'm just gonna shelve it until we see if we wanna get through some questions, after we get through some questions. Um, who here has a question for Mia? Uh, you go ahead and make the call. Uh, how about you? What, what was the beginning of that question? Uh -huh. um, and when you're dealing with projects that you ha you can't break through, you're in the bottleneck and um, you're struggling, what do you do? That's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> Haley and I were talking about <laughs> philosophy. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, we have a, a, so, a sort of a, a construct that we've developed about what's important to us and it's about, you know, basically social justice and environmental, you know, responsibility and uh, uh, 
people and habitat sort of at it in an equi equilibrium. Um, so I think for me, it's about listening to the community too. You know, we understand what the issues might be, what the, you know, you've been given a problem when you get a design project, so you know what the problem is, you, or what the sort of opportunity. A park, you know, in the middle of the community, or a park in the front of City Hall, and you're trying to figure out how people are going to get there, and what are the activities going to be, and how are you going to do shade, and how are you going to manage all these things. And when you get to a, I mean, a design, um, problem and how do you, how do you, well, first of all, I'm never working all by myself. I only do what I call the president's card. Like when everybody's like, you know, we have a group of, a team working on a project and we can't break through. Like, you know, everybody's arguing over design elements or whether this, you know, should we do a parking lot? Because once you do a parking lot, that means people are going to go and buy cars no cars in this park. You gotta walk to your, to your park or you gotta bike to your car. You don't wanna eat up an acre of a 10 acre park so people can park. I mean, maybe that's, you know, a, a, a goal. And uh, so we get into that issue and then um, there's a conversation at some point, we're not getting anywhere and say, okay, pulling, I think everybody thinks, I don't know, Aaron is here. but <laughs> I think people think it's funny. And, but then I'm serious. Okay, we've got to solve it. We don't have that much time. And I might say, how about just handicap parking? And just that's the solution, you know? There's handicap parking for like, for an appropriate number of people who might be coming and the rest is bye-bye, you know? Yeah, you take life in, in your hands and, and walk. Was that an actual debate that you had recently over around a certain project? Uh, I, I, I think that specific like that, no, but we're having a similar debate over some, uh, on, a, on a much bigger project. Who else? Oh, go. Haley, you decide. Hi, I just wanted to know how much now um, given that vertical gardens are in too much uh, demand, I guess, how much attention you pay to the vertical gardens in the landscape architecture? Can you, um, can you put it closer? I can't, yes? The vertical gardens. Oh. How much time I've spent to, to vertical gardens? Yeah, I mean, how much attention you pay now given that they are in too much demand, I guess? So um, that's a really good question. Thank you. Um, uh, I grew up in the tropics, and vertical gardens just are, exist. I mean, you know, there's ferns and orchids, and just, you know, the rain makes them happen. I think they're mostly inappropriate in Southern California. And, uh, <laughs> um, I've done some vertical gardens, uh, and obviously, and I've done vertical gardens really with succulents, and the amount of maintenance that they take is intense, and I guess, you know, like all things in sort of equity, social justice, environmental, well, 
also, if you have a gardener full time, making sure everything looks good, then you're giving somebody a job. But yep. environmentally, I think there are some benefits. For example, if you do vines, we're doing a big museum right now, and we're doing something like a vertical garden with vines. And I think that's more appropriate, but I, I just think about it more as a water-intensive, maintenance-intensive project that makes sense in moist it's, uh, regions, and, uh, and it doesn't make sense in Southern California where it's extremely dry. Okay. Uh, I don't know about that. Thank you. And the other question was, when I grew up um, at my home in India, in Delhi, luckily, we had the creepers, which are the white roses, uh, that creeper thing. Mm -hmm. So it would be like, so tall till it, it covered the whole house. And I really loved the fact that I get to smell it every day. I mean, when you're sleeping, when you're getting up, going out, coming mm -hmm. back. And that looks, that's why I'm more drawn towards the vertical garden as such. And if something like that comes up in a building. <laughs> I think that's a different, I mean, so there's a difference between um, vines growing up on, on, uh, on walls than vertical gardens. So that's what I would say. And, and yes, vines, and vines do have, depending on the type of vines, you know, on the walls of uh, the uh, Great Wall of Jerusalem, you have a lot of capers cascading down the walls. You know, they don't need a lot of, I mean, and they do things for birds, they do things for food, they do things but they do their own thing. They just grow and function, so. Hey, I was curious as a follow-up to your comment. As a what? On, as a follow-up to your comment on advocacy, if mm -hmm. you could speak about the potential for the river being developed around the Olympics as a, a focal point, and if you've had any experience or issues. I've heard that uh, Friends of the Yellow River have said they've been more or less pushed out of the way for some of the star architects to kind of define how that space is going to be developed. And I know with so much open land on the other sides uh, that's being considered for affordable housing, if you could speak to any of those issues. <sighs> so um, I'm on the advisory committee of Friends of the Yellow River. Um, so we, we worked on the master plan for the river with a, a few other firms and with TetraTech who are the, uh, were the engineers, water engineers, and it was a project the city um, advanced because of water quality regulations and you know there's been this aspiration to bring the river to life and it's already happening. How many of you have been to the LA River? Not that many of you. You should go kayak. So kayaking started already, pretty cool. Um, but a lot of people, you know, among the things that happened is that the federal government acknowledged that the river exists. Because until we actually, we, a large group, argued for the fact that the river exists, it was considered basically a flood control channel. And you were, if you were in the river, like five years ago, you were trespassing. 
He could have gotten a ticket, maybe even gone to jail. In fact, when the governor was doing his movies and you know crashing and doing everything he did in the river, um, he was definitely. I hope he paid a lot of money to for permits and help out with river stuff. But anyway, um, so. The river as a corridor is a tremendous opportunity. It's an, a tremendous opportunity for the, for the Olympics and for the city to shine and for there to be um, development opportunities that meet the incredibly sad situation we found ourselves in with homelessness. I mean, I grew up in the tropics in a really, really poor country that, you know, was third world and, you know, there were those who called it the Banana Republic. The level of poverty that I have experienced in LA and in areas like the river is nothing compared to what I grew up with. This is so much worse, so much worse. The forlornness, I and mean, people there had bananas and you know, avocados and mangoes and they lived with a little space around them and there was always shelter. So it's horrible what we find ourselves in. Um, so along the, you know, in terms of issues about being edged out and, um, you know, actually you guys can all, you know, sort of get involved, get involved in voicing your opinion about what and how um, homelessness should be addressed or how the river should be sort of, uh, sort of harnessed. Um, because of the master plan that exists and that was codified, you know, once the master plan is finished and blessed and you've had 284 meetings um, and the Army Corps says, yes, that's the master plan. The Army Corps is the federal agency that actually protects Los Angeles from flooding and they're responsible. So if they say, this is the plan, took us 10 years to get there, right? So we're going to acknowledge that it, we acknowledge that that plan exists and projects are going to happen through it. So we're working on a bikeway project on the northern San Fernando Valley. There are three bridges getting built because people really felt at the time that connecting east and west and north and south was really important. Otherwise, you had to go miles between bridges to get across. So, for example, the Sonia Sotomayor's high school, yay, Sonia, and, and the Frogtown community, which is where kids go to school, is like, there is no bridge, so they gotta go up and over in two miles by, by foot in order to get to high school. There's gonna be two bridges for them. So there's bridges happening, there's bikeways happening, and there's some parks happening. Albion Park, which was a milk dairy, which is not too far from here, is in construction. The Sixth Street Bridge Park is in construction. Projects are in construction. Uh, Lauren Bond is building a park and also a water wheel. And so projects are happening and we're gonna look better than we would have, you know, 10 years ago with regard to the Olympics. The future opportunities there's been this disruption. Um, it doesn't mean that plans get erased necessarily because the Army Corps again has to approve any new plans. So one of the plans is actually being uh, led by um, River LA, which was 
a, an organization that we proposed as part of the River Master Plan. We said in order to get it, the plan to move forward, you had to have, and we, as I mean, I had, there was urban designers and other landscape architects on the group and actually an economist who said, we have to have a public-private nonprofit group that actually helps projects move fast, right? Get investors, get things to happen. And then uh, we also have, an have to have an educational component to this to bring education and people to understand what's going on. So that group has, a, you know, is doing some good work, but they have been a disruptor, and they, uh, you know, decided that that in order to to make the river come to life, a famous architect had to be invited to the table. So all I could say it's hard. It's 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 hard to to take. It's you know it's a. a it's hard to accept that the things, you know, it wasn't like through a procurement process or some sort of, trans there is no transparency, but it's LA and it's the movie industry and it's, you know, and uh, you can't deny the fact that a very talented, very well-recognized architect is, you know, been asked to play on the river to contribute to the river. And it does, branding-wise, help, you know? More, I don't know if more people know about it or don't know about it within LA, but they certainly, outside the, Uni the United States, it becomes more prevalent uh, or sort of. You guys know who she's talking about? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> so anyway, so that's a, um, you know, it's a reality, but it doesn't mean that many of us, like, not just our firm, but there's at least 10 other firms doing projects. You know, parks, development projects that are related to the river, um, bikeways, trails, there's lots happening. You could probably go on our website and we sort of uh, acknowledge that, but also the city river office acknowledges that. If any of you ever wanna get involved with the river or river issues, contact Chris Pina, or Michael Affeld, uh, who are two of the planners in the mayor's office who deal with the river. And I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to engage and go kayaking because it'll bring a whole new perspective to you about what the river really feels like. And the 10 miles that you will kayak, the reason you can be there is not because we planted a lot of stuff and brought the boulders, it's because nature uh, basically um, it fought for itself and the water table was so high that no matter what they tried in terms of concrete it wouldn't stick and it flew it just like said okay not not happening here so it's a soft bottom and no you know na nature sort of survived anybody else well I think oh yeah I don't know if I was like, I have a quick question, but maybe it's not. Um, uh, can you speak about what your thoughts are for Prop 68, which was just on the, um, on Tuesday, um, about funding the, like, $4 billion for parks and other things? We did well, right? Yeah. <laughs> God, I had to, I had to switch off at some point, but yes. <laughs> no. um, 
And I will say that uh, there, there are that the mayor's office and the Bureau of Engineering are real, really, you know, pushing the agenda of the river. And that's a really good question because, you know, addressing water and addressing parks is, you know, conjoined. It's a conjoined twinship there. But housing is really important too, and that that there's going to be funding is pretty amazing and exciting, and um, and I just uh, hope that there is going to be some way of cutting some of the sort of bureaucracy that sometimes holds us back. Every single one of these projects takes at least ten years to happen, um, and because of the Olympics, it's like. Uh, the mayor of Long Beach says, you know, that he feels that the pixie dust of the Olympics is going to help push things in in half the time, and I hope that you know uh, that that mayor that the mayor's uh, sense of that um, Mayor Garcia is 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 does come to fruition. So I think there's you know, there, a lot of the work associated with the. Um, a better understanding of where the gaps are for parks and where the gaps are for housing. It, the county has that information. They did a lot of advanced work. So I'm assume, and I know that there's uh, working groups that have been formed, and I am assuming that, that, that we're gonna see a transformed corridor, and hopefully along, along it, a lot of jobs, right? So that economic, so when, when we're thinking of social justice and environmental justice, the economics become a part of it, jobs. People need jobs. And social equity is um, something that a lot of the big banks are pushing for some of their big, big sort of clients, in bank, bank clients, like Morgan Stanley and others, are being asked by some of their do-good uh, sort of uh, clients to sort of save a certain percent of their funds for social equity and to really get engaged with green infrastructure and some of these, these, this work that we're trying to do. And they're, in, they're much more knowledgeable about these solutions in the East Coast. I learned it at a conference that La Rosa put together from an East Coaster that's doing work along the Anacostia River. And so he's been back since then multiple times because we're all trying to learn, but I think that we just have to harness. And again, you know, all 40 of you should stay involved, whether it's with your council office, your neighborhood council, your school district, your any elected official, or through your professional groups, ULI, SLA, you know, AIA. Just stay involved because it makes a difference. Thank you so much. This has been so, so great. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you guys for attending. It's been really interesting and fun. Thank you for all the great questions. Um, and yeah, uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendôme Dome Furniture. Design culture. It's the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendôme pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary.
And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest? Von Daum products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted, modern, durable, molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique and they beg to be enjoyed. They search the planet for the right designers that embody the Von Daum spirit and work together to create remarkable pieces into an exclusively Von Daum mode of expression. And if you haven't seen Von Daum before, you can check them out in uh, some of the Convo by Design videos you'll find on our YouTube channel. But you can find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in LA, or online at vondom.com.